Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Dear Writer. Today we're recording, oh what it must have been, episode 83 I think. Um, and yes, it is an excellent episode because Sarah has returned. Yes, I have returned. Not that it really would seem like I was away for most of you because, you know, we did do quite a few episodes before I sort of went on my self-imposed maternity leave from the podcast. But I am back and we have an extra participant in this podcast. So I do apologize if there's any like strange grunts or um, breathing noises in the in the background. I'd have my beautiful daughter, Julia, here with me. She's asleep, but <laughs> <laughs> just in case anything makes its way into, into there. <laughs> well, we're very happy to have Julia on as well. I'm sure she'll make an appearance. Well. <laughs> An audio appearance. <laughs> yes. Sure, she'll make a comment at some point, I'm sure. Anyway, so today is one of our talking shop episodes, and in the interest of time, we should jump right in to the bulk of this episode. So, Sarah, what is your tool of the month this month? So I have chosen Crafting Novels and Short Stories, the complete guide to writing great fiction. Um, from the editors of Writer's Digest. And I decided to focus on just the first chapter because, you know, with a newborn, it's challenging to get time in. So I sort of mainly have read the the first chapter so far, but it was really interesting and filled with organizing your writing life. So it's very appropriate. Yes, (laughs) For the time being for you. (laughs) Totally is. So the first chapter is called Focus on the Writing Life getting started and then the sort of subheading was get off your butt and write um just briefly i'll just explain that it is quite a long um incredibly detailed book on the craft of writing fiction and aside from the first chapter i have high hopes for it as it does seem incredibly thorough and it is broken down into seven parts so one is on characters two is on plot and conflict three point of view, four setting and backstory, five dialogue, six description and word choice, and seven revision. So I'm really excited about diving into it and I might cover other parts of it in future talking shop episodes. So keep your ear out for that. Obviously I decided for the focus of this episode to have a look at the writing life and the mindset around writing life. So it started by talking about writing being a choice. So we all have giant to-do lists. There's no doubt about that. I'm definitely feeling that at the moment. (laughs) But we also only have so many minutes to every day, and we have to choose how we spend those minutes. And they made the point that it's not always as easy as choosing between something you don't want to do and something that you do want to do. Spending your minutes wisely means choosing to do the thing you want to do most with your time and 
to be successful as a writer, your writing, unsurprisingly, has to be close to the top of that list. You know, it doesn't mean you can't do other things, but you do have to choose to write. So it next discussed making writing a habit and it likened writing to exercise. So you don't do it because it's fun all the time. (laughs) Training is tough, but you do it for the final reward and also for the surges of adrenaline and serotonin that you might get along the way. So there was a quote and it said, the writing habit, like the exercise habit, is its own reward. When you don't do it, you feel as if you're cheating yourself. Real writers don't sit around and wait for inspiration to strike before they put fingers to the keyboard. They put fingers to the keyboard and know that somewhere during those hours, they will discover small nuggets of inspiration. So I thought that was really quite true. You know, like you don't always have that urge to write or that inspiration. Sometimes you've just got to sit down and kind of hope that it comes. Definitely. I definitely felt that when on my time in hospital as well, I'd, you know, I was stuck staring at the same four walls for three weeks (laughs) and I wasn't sick of like the sort of activities that I'd brought to do. I was more just restless and I found that sitting down and because I hadn't written very much for quite a while, kind of making the habit again to sit down and open the laptop And, you know, for a while I'd kind of open the laptop, kind of look at the blank screen and be like, nope, and close the laptop. (laughs) But when, when, when I was in hospital, I was kind of like, no, I've got to like keep it open and sit, sit there and just stare at it because I literally had like nothing else to do. So I'd be like, hmm, where can I go from here? And it's like this blank page looking at me. And eventually the words did come, but you do have to kind of make the commitment to stare at that blank page for a while before that happens. Yeah. (laughs) Force the words down. Yes. Anyways, so they went on in this chapter to discuss a few tips for developing a writing habit. And so they said, set aside a set amount of time every day. Um, Their suggestion was to start off with half an hour or an hour or make the goal to write a set amount of words. Um, So the next tip was to write at the same time every day if possible. That way it will feel strange if you are not writing. Write even when you don't feel like it, because real writers write. Real writers write. I like it. (laughs) I should have that on a wall somewhere, an inspirational poster. (laughs) Yeah, real writers do write. And so finally, they talked about developing a writing plan and gave some guidelines to help better organize your writing time. And they did make the point that, you know, even if you aren't like someone who like plans out everything to the sort of finest detail, that you can still have a writing plan that serves you and helps to organize your writing. And so they suggested to one, set reasonable, measurable goals. So a specific goal with a due date helps you to get words down on the page. And even better, developing your own reward or punishment system serves as extra motivation. Punishment system. 
I have done this before. It reminded me of, um, so I did like a psychology course at one point and it was on like behavioral modification and yeah, it's like, so if you like set yourself like a, the one that I did was like a token reward system. So if you achieve your goal, you give yourself like a token. And then at the end, once you've got so many tokens, you can like spend your tokens to like get something. Okay. So that, that works quite well if you're looking for kind of reward system. I remember in behavioral modification, the course that I did, that punishment doesn't actually work that well. Like if you have like a negative reinforcement of like, I know, for example, some people, you know, wear the elastic band around their wrist and when they're trying to break a bad, bad habit, they'll like snap it, causing pain or like, I don't know, forcing yourself to like clean the bathrooms or something. That doesn't really work that great for motivation reward works much better so that was my tips on that like just to add to that <laughs> I quite liked the token system because you know it's not like a reward every day it's like a build up to a reward yeah yeah so handy hints anyways <laughs> the next tip that they gave was divide and conquer instead of lumping everything to together in one mammoth goal um, so, you know, I'm going to write a book by X far off date, break it down into manageable chunks and shorter time periods. Um, and I 100% agree with that, because if you have it in like one big goal, then you're never going to get there. Let's be real. <laughs> if you yeah. do it like tiny bits at a time, it's much more achievable. Okay, and number three, create a plan of ordered tasks. So setting an order to your tasks frees up mind space as you always know what to focus on next and further breaks down your goals into manageable steps. And number four, select dates and stick to them. I think this one kind of speaks for itself, but you know, if you mark dates on a calendar, this helps you to visualize your goals and set a solid deadline. And the last one I thought was kind of interesting. I don't know that it would work for everyone, but I think it would work for some people is they suggest working backward, basically an extension from the previous point. So once you have the project due date written down on the calendar, you can work backward to figure out how much time to allocate to each task. Right. And allowing a little wriggle room for unexpected delays. I'm not sure that would work for me. I'm, more of a forward worker like so you know if I was developing a plan I'd be like okay it's going to take me this amount of time to get this task done and then like mark that on the calendar this amount of time for the next one until I worked out like the project end date and how long it was going to take me to get to the project end date I guess if you've got like a set deadline that you need to have it done by like say you're working with an editor and they give you like a set deadline then working backward is probably the way to go but for me you know I'd prefer working forward. Yeah I don't forward. know if that would work for me either because I'm more of a I have the deadline down and then I'm just attempting to do as much as I can like before the deadline if that makes any sense especially if it's like a hard deadline with like an editor or something I'd probably just be like oh it needs to be done in every day just do as much as I can <laughs> until it gets done mm. rather than working out allocated times. I guess that's what it means by um, developing, uh, by giving yourself a bit of wriggle room so that like if you do like set a time for every task, almost bringing that due date 
back further so that like if you miss the first due date you've still got a bit of time till the next one (laughs) so like setting yourself like a (laughs) pre-deadline the pre-deadline that's the only way I can see that ha- like that working because otherwise you'd get to like the deadline you'd be like well I finished those tasks all on time but then the last one I didn't manage to finish on time and oh no I've missed the deadline yeah <laughs> like that's what would happen to me realistically <laughs> kind of you know what happened when we were doing that article Ashley ended up helping me out for the last sort of article series that we did for um uh, New Zealand romance sort of e-magazine. <laughs> yep. I mean, we were working together on it anyways, but yes, she did more than her share, really. <laughs> <It's all> good. <laughs> the co-writing relationship when your co-writer needs a bit of help. <laughs> yep. It's a definite shared, shared work, you know. Okay. Anyways. So even just with the first chapter of this book, I can already see that it's going to be an interesting read. And it was really good to remind myself of all these important points, especially right now when my focus is a bit divided. So, you know, as we've mentioned, not all the suggestions will work for me and you might find the same, but not everything that I've mentioned here is productive to your own writing mindset necessarily, but it does give you a great starting point for developing consistent writing habits and working towards finishing each project, which I think is extremely valuable, especially for anyone starting out on their writing journey. It sounded like you got quite a lot from just that first chapter. It was honestly only just a few pages. So I did get quite a lot from it, I guess. It was really good. And I am really excited about the rest of the book, as you might be able to tell simply from like the part headings, like that's not even the chapter headings, that's like the headings of each part of the book that were mentioned earlier on. It is quite in depth, I think, and covers quite a lot. So what you want out of a writing craft book, I think. (laughs) Definitely. So again, that was Crafting Novels and Short Stories, and it was from the editors of the Writer's Digest. And what was your tool of the month this month, Ashley? This month, I went for a, another article called Fantasy World Building, The Power of Detail, written by C.S. Paquette from the journal Writing Queensland, issue 258. It came out in 2017, and it was a real short one as well, just two pages long. And I was kind of like, oh, is this going to be enough material for the talking shop the answer is yes it was (laughs) yes it was despite its brevity it is an article that talks about how fantasy the specific fantasy writer builds up their world and I was initially drawn to it because I felt like there's quite a few fantasy authors who listen to the podcast and I thought why not do something a little bit tailored towards them but also I feel like fantasy world building can be quite easily applied to just general world building and whatever novels you're writing. So I thought could be one of those articles that gives people, even if you're not in fantasy, you can still get something from it. Well, and I certainly got stuff from it anyways. Mm -hmm. In this article, the author begins by describing world building as an act in three parts, (laughs) which I initially was drawn to. I was like, I like this a lot. 
So it's like act one is building, act two is creating a sense of authenticity, and then act three is your exposition. Right. Yeah. Paquette describes it as, in other words, the first, uh, first the world is imagined, then it's made believable, and then you have to relay it to the reader through exposition, which he, which he terms the invisible work that goes into the novel. <laughs> And I quite liked that. Uh, and there was a really good quote at the at the very start, which was, novels are frequently judged by their prose, but the words on the page comprise only a small part of the work of writing. And it yes. made me think a lot about our historical fiction. Very true. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. love the, like, kind of <laughs> exhaustion in there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The sheer amount of research. <laughs> yes. So that also goes on to describe that in a good fantasy novel, the world feels alive because of the sheer amount of imaginative detail that's gone into making everything in it. And emphasize, he emphasizes that this detail is incredibly important uh, in all three of the stages of the act. Mm-hmm. Um, so they first must be imagined, which... In brackets, he wrote, it's harder than it looks. And I was like, that is true. <laughs> yes, very true. And that's why, like, you know, when fantasy authors come on our author spotlight, I'm like, oh, my God, how do you do it? Because I don't, I don't know. I feel like I struggle with the imagining, like, stuff out of, like, completely thin air part of things. Me too. Me too. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a real world kind of like I can imagine things happening in like real world scenarios. And then when I try and like go off the real world path, like I know everything in fantasy kind of is still built on the real world kind of, you know, like it's not like things come from nowhere, but I I do feel like there's a lot of imagination that goes on for fantasy writers. And I'm just like, wow, I know. Wow. Would you really retain that from childhood? (laughs) (laughs) So the author describes this harder than it looks sort of imaginative aspect of it quite well he says you know you tend to notice the large features in a room you're describing like the massive table before you see the scratch on the table's leg and he kind of compares Mm -hmm. that to your imagination so when you are world building you know you're drawn to the big ideas first things like he used the example of seasons lasting years or that there are dragons, um, et cetera, rather than the smaller ideas, which actually add more detail to your scene. Yeah. Which I was like, that makes sense. And kind of says, you know, once you get through all the big stuff, which is still required, you're like imagination is just kind of drained and tired, but it's the really small details that actually matter more in the one, once you're building the world for your reader. Mm-hmm. It's like, so it's easy to get lazy and be like, meh, don't need to talk about the scratch on that table leg, but it's actually, that's the most necessary part. And I was like, yeah, it's very true. Yeah, I totally, totally get that. And that is something that I feel, yeah, is can be applied to basically every book, the small details, because I feel like that really builds the the image that you're looking for. Like I noticed that like 
when I've been reading like Stephen King's stuff, he often does things like that where it'll be like one tiny little detail that he hones in on. And I think I've mentioned it before in like these podcasts, but I, yeah, just recently have realized that that really does enhance your setting and your description and really just draws a reader in because it helps them to like really visualize what's going on if you have like those tiny little details just inserted in there definitely in the in the article the author explains you know it's fine to do all that big stuff but then go back and overlay it with quote unquote enlivening details <laughs> it's like yay. yeah it seemed like a good way to do it rather than trying to exhaust yourself at the start uh trying to put it all in there in the first yeah, this is true I guess it depends on the way you worked for mm. that but um definitely good suggestion and yes he had a good way of describing why you should worry about the little details uh, one of the quotes was a single detail implies the existence of a thousand others which I really yes. liked you know there's like one scratch but what else is there there must be more <laughs> mm-hmm. well I feel um, like then you know that you you see a scratch and like the reader start, suddenly starts thinking of it as, you know, okay, you've got a table that's slightly weathered. Okay, well, maybe it's got like a knot in the wood or like you start thinking of like a more vintage kind of thing. And so like that way the reader starts to fill in the details. Exactly. By just providing one. Yeah, exactly. So the reader can believes there's more to it, even though you've only highlighted one little thing, which yep. I thought was a good way of describing it. Mm-hmm. Another really great quote. There's a lot of quotes in here that I liked. So a lot of my <laughs> reflection is some of his really great quotes. So another one was each detail also builds the world, like uncovering a new section of a map. And the author of this article used a really interesting example from Lord of the Rings for this. And I was like, love Lord of the Rings. Very intrigued <laughs> about what he's going to say. And his simple example was hobbits live in holes in the ground. And I was like, okay. And he's like, this immediately though makes Middle Earth feel more real because the ground therefore must exist and creatures live in it, obviously. So immediately it provides a lot of context for your reader, just that very simple, simple Mm -hmm. thing. And he said that you can create a very similar feeling by including details like talking about things that are under or over or behind so like what's behind the log or under the rug because it makes you see other reader see the world in 3d and I quite liked that I was like that's really true (laughs) yeah like suddenly makes it it feel like you know less flat and you're suddenly like oh I can see what's behind something or, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if there's like a worm under the log, like, of course there's worms under the log in this world. Like that totally (laughs) makes sense. (laughs) So I I really liked that description. And then Mm -hmm. his, one of his final points was that details make kind of like what you mentioned before with, with the table having like a knot or something, more details in it. Um, or feeling vintage, that details make objects feel like they have history. 
to the reader mm-hmm. because if there's a scratch on a table, well, then someone or something must have scuffed the table in the past, which means the table existed before the scene that the reader's reading about. Yeah. Like indirectly yeah. implies a history to the item. Yes. And so he suggested other words too, like rusted or chipped, worn, things like that, or words mm-hmm. like that all imply these things have been there for a while, not just like popped into existence by and the writer. So true, because I remember um, in Darkness Set Us Free, which obviously the readers don't know too much about, but I mean, listeners, sorry, guys. I remember that you put in... Uh, like as a really small detail um, at one point about like a chipped mug and that kind of made that scene come alive a bit more and like made you imagine the space a bit more you're like oh okay it's like a really small broken rundown space a bit you know it's a bit shabby out in the middle of nowhere so I think like that really does help like those kinds of details definitely I hadn't really thought about it specifically <laughs> before but then once just I you read saying it like chipped article, I was like oh yes that's right yeah reading it in the article you're like that totally makes sense because you're like oh that cottagey thing has been there for ages tons of people have been through it. that's why stuff is chipped or like whatever your scene mm-hmm. is exactly which I thought which is quite good and I guess <laughs> anyways his final his final point was just a warning about uh adding too much detail and when to stop he suggested which I think we've mentioned this before just ask yourself what your character would notice yes it's probably the easiest thing like if your character your character's probably not going to notice like 25 separate small details on the table they might notice the big gouge in the leg or something or the scratch on the surface when they put their cup down and you know that's enough (laughs) yeah and it really depends on their frame of mind too I mean I found this recently as I was editing I've been editing the price of pandemonium and you know you can add some things but you have to be really careful like when you're doing the editing that you do stay true to the scene as well because um, you can't change things if, if your character is like thinking it's kind of stuck in the state of mind if you try and change things too much then it just seems really unnatural because it's like, okay, well, who would like notice that much stuff when they're like really <laughs> worried about like X, Y, and Z, you know? Like, totally do you sit sense. down when you're like churning over like a decision and like notice, oh, you know, I, I could probably tidy the room that's like, you know, items lying around. There's this over there, there's that there. And <laughs> oh, look at like the little coffee stain that spilled on the table and like, no, you don't notice everything. You you might like focus in on one thing, like there's a coffee stain on the table. Like well, as you're like thinking scratch about scratch at it or something because they're nervous yeah, or whatever. Exactly. As you're thinking about like this other stuff. Like I guess one more thing. They the author kind of says that if you are able to write the description sort of from what your character notices, that itself adds a lot of authenticity to the scene as well, which is what you just described. Yes. So <laughs> appropriate. I thought this article was, even though it was short, gave a lot of interesting insight to how important detail is to include. 
So mm-hmm. I'd re- highly recommend having a quick read. It doesn't take very long and you might also find some really good points. So that yeah. was the uh, fantasy world building, the power of detail by C.S. Paquette in the journal writing Queensland. So we should probably awesome. move on to what we have been reading for quote unquote fun this month. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, what's, what have you been reading if you've had time at all to read? Well, as you might expect, my time has been rather limited, as I mentioned before, so I haven't done much leisure reading, as you may hear Miss Julia talking about there. (laughs) But so I thought about it and I thought, why not review one of the children's books that I've received as a gift for Julia? And so the one I've picked is a Canadian classic called Love You Forever, uh, written by Robert Munch and um, yes. illustrated by Sheila McGraw. Because it's a very basic storyline, um, fair warning, my review contains some major spoilers. <laughs> so it's basically about a mother's love for her child, despite all the naughtiness and phases growing up. The mother repeatedly tells the child when they're sleeping angelically how much she loves them. I'm trying to remember the exact words. I think it's like, I love you forever, like you for always, as long as I'm living, um, my, my baby you'll be, I think is the, the sounds, words. That sounds about right. I read <laughs> yeah, this a lot yeah. as a child and read it a lot to my youngest sister, Annalie. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Because she's, she's five years younger than me, so I could obviously read when <laughs> she was really young and couldn't read. So That's really sweet. I used to do the same for my younger brother. I think I read him Harry Potter, but he wasn't that interested <laughs> to start. <laughs> so in the end, as she's at the end of her life, the child who is now grown says the same back to her, um, except, you know, replacing the word baby for mother. Um, and then he um, says it to his baby daughter as well. It is really cute and I enjoyed reading it, but I think what makes it stand out is the occasional and I'm going to say oddball piece of narration. <laughs> so where the mother does like strange things, like she crawls across the floor to, um, I think she was trying to be quiet when approaching her son in bed, maybe. Um, it was it's slightly weird. But then she also gets a bit stalkerish and then drives to his house and climbs into the window <laughs> when, he's an, uh, when he's an adult to rock him as a fully grown adult and tell him how much she loves him, et cetera, et cetera. So it sounds really, really weird when I say this, but I think it actually adds to the uniqueness of the story. It makes it strangely kind of cute. I don't know. I'll let you guys be the judge of that. <laughs> let me know what you think of it. If you've read this book, I thought it was kind of quite funny. The mother, Like <laughs> the, the illustrations have like the mother, like peeking up, like, from behind the bed and stuff like with like her eyes and like her hands like yeah (laughs) it's kind of hilarious Robert Munch has some great books yes my hubby said oh these are like Canadian classics he's like he's written a lot of books so I was like oh that's kind of cool had lots of them as a child but yeah yeah definitely nice little stories so what were you (laughs) she's like mum read that to me and I was all sleepy and then 
we dropped the book on the ground and I woke up and cried. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, I kind of, well, I kind of cheated this month and I picked a podcast, which I binged in like two days. And this is, has a little bit of backstory. Basically, I went to a podcasting like summit slash conference thing a few weekends ago. Um, Yeah. So it was quite interesting. And one of the discussions that they had with like a panel discussion was about uh, long form narrative podcasts, specifically the investigative ones, you know, like true crime or interesting um, events that have happened that they're investigating. And they were talking about how they try and craft these long form uh, podcasts which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting because obviously immediately I was like comparing the difference between like half crafting a novel versus crafting a podcast. And obviously they have interesting challenges like recording background noise. So like when they go to a scene, they're like spend an hour like recording weird things <laughs> like <laughs> the wind and like the road and like the little lake or the stream or whatever, just to get like the atmosphere. And I was like, that's really funny because unfortunately writing, you can't quite do that. But <laughs> It's a similar sort of idea, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, so they recommended, there were a few podcasts that they recommended listening to. And one of them was called Redline, um, which is produced by Radio New Zealand. And I was like, give it a go, see what it's like. And it was fascinating. So I'll just read the blurb of it, because I guess podcasts have blurbs. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. Um, So fears of political assassinations, car tampering and break-ins claims the New Zealand government is selling out the five eyes concerns a foreign state um, has coercive control of our economy in a new podcast series, Guy and Espiner and John Daniel investigate China's influence in New Zealand and ask if we can continue to walk the thin red line between what some see as an evil empire, but others see as our greatest economic opportunity and the center of a new world order. So it was so interesting, mostly because it's one of those podcasts where you get to the end and you're still not quite sure if it's all a conspiracy or not. (laughs) So like, you know, they can, they explain one side of it. Like, you know, these people were obviously politically assassinated by the Chinese communist party or whatever. And then they'll present the other side, which is like, Oh, they, I think they just crashed their car. Like, (laughs) you know, and they kind of, you get to the end and you're like, weird stuff's happening. Like, obviously there's some influence, but is it as big as people think it is or is it not? So I really enjoyed that whole, the whole time you're like, what, like, what is it? (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. So it's quite, it's not too long. It's only four or five episodes so if you feel like listening to some interesting potential but also potentially not real conspiracy theories then you can go check it out um so that that's my um my what I listened to this month so it's very intriguing it was intriguging which is why I thought I'd bring it up (laughs) I found it just bit different not usually what I'm usually real into the true crime so for me to listen to like a political podcast about the Chinese Communist Party it's a little bit off base for me but that's okay Uh, anyways we should probably wrap this episode up Um, so 
there are still some spots on our author spotlight series. So if you would like to apply, you can head over to our website at lindersoncreations.com, hover your mouse over the podcast tab in the main menu, and you will see a drop down to be featured on Dear Writer. And next time on Dear Writer, it's our main podcast episode where we're going to be talking about story structure. And if you'd like to know any more about us or any of our writing projects, you can visit us on the aforementioned website, lindersoncreations.com, or get in contact with us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle Lindison Creations. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, or tell your friends about us, and we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone.